Always a pleasure to be with you guys and an honor just to open up the scripture with you. Um, so as we read, I'm going to be teaching from Mark's gospel tonight and talking about one of my favorite subjects, which is the kingdom of God. So just a little background about Mark. Mark is written for disciples. It's a roadmap or a manual for discipleship to Jesus. And so in a time where there is so much confusion about what's going on in the world, about what is true, about what is false, questions about who we are because our rhythms have radically changed. And if we were identifying ourselves by what we do, uh, we're questioning those things. Uh, questions about what we are to be doing as individuals, as the people of God, as the church. Mark's gospel is, again, a roadmap for the people of God in how to follow the way of Jesus. But Mark's gospel is also a book of mystery. It's about how God is cryptically and mysteriously present in bringing his kingdom on earth through the suffering, crucified, and resurrected Messiah, Jesus. And so that means at least in this gospel, things are not what you think they are. Things do not go as we think they should go. In this gospel, those who are insiders become outsiders. Those who are lost are found. Those who have nothing gain everything. Those who are powerful are made weak and so on and so forth. And Mark's Jesus, he speaks cryptically and mysteriously because he wants us to press into his story of Jesus so we don't miss how God is working in the world and we don't miss out how God is bringing his kingdom into the world and how we are to join him in that kingdom work. Mark chapter 4, which we're looking at tonight, it begins with large crowds flocking to Jesus again. And Jesus takes this opportunity to tell the multitude a story. We call it the parable of the sower. But the story begins with this call, listen, listen, tune in to what I'm saying. And then Jesus ends this parable with this word, anyone with ears should listen and understand. And it's fascinating. As you look at Mark chapter 4, Jesus is actually saying this again and again. One place he says, listen. Another place he says, those who have ears, let them hear. Another place he says, pay attention. And so, again, the message to us is tune in, lean in, give ear to what Jesus is going to say to us. Now, the irony is Jesus tells this parable and no one gets it, not the crowd, not the religious leaders, not the disciples. But that's really what this parable of the sower is about. It's about how different people will listen and respond to Jesus and his message. Now, later, Jesus' disciples come and ask him about the meaning of his teaching. And he says to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God but for everyone else, I use parables. Now, surprisingly, Jesus says that his teaching is cryptic on purpose in order to get people to search and seek him. As demonstrated after the parable of the sower, he ends by saying, anyone with ears should listen and understand. Jesus doesn't stick around for a Q&A. He doesn't wait for the crowd's response. If you want answers, Jesus is basically saying, mull it over. 
Don't dismiss and write off what I'm saying. Don't have dishonest doubts. Instead, seek the rabbi as the disciples do, and more shall be revealed to you. For those who write Jesus off, they will not only miss out on the revelation of God and the fulfillment of the kingdom of God, but on the true story of the world, on our meaning and purpose as humanity. But for those who will doubt their doubts and suspend their judgments and press into Jesus in order to truly hear, more will be revealed. Now, this idea that Jesus says, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but to everyone else I speak cryptically and mysteriously, this sounds strange to our ears. The question, doesn't God want people to repent and believe? Doesn't want God want people to be forgiven? And of course, the answer is yes. God does want people to repent and believe and be forgiven. But the problem really lies with us in how we perceive God and how we think about power and how we think about authority and just this human tendency to hear only what we want to hear. And I believe that this is what Jesus is challenging. This is what Jesus is calling us to. Don't just see what you want to see and hear what you want to hear. Suspend that, set that aside for a moment and tune into what I'm saying. An example of this is, I often talk about this at, at our church. What if God is actually way more liberal, patient, humble, gracious, and loving than you think he is? Or the other side, what if God is actually more conservative, holy, truthful, righteous, pure, and faithful than you think he is? See, oftentimes we can miss what God is doing because of our assumptions about God, about the way God works, about the way that God's kingdom will come. And this is exactly what happens to the religious leaders and the crowd. They miss Jesus's message because it's not the kingdom that they are looking for. It's not the kingdom that they want. And so they dismiss it. They write it off. It's powerless. It's insignificant. It's absurd. And so as we walk through this passage, I think a poignant question for us is, who are we? Where do we see ourselves? Are we the disciples who will give ear to what Jesus is saying, who will give weight to what Jesus is saying? It, even though he might confuse us, we, we don't dismiss it. We see it as precious and we're going to meditate on it. We're going to mull it over. We're going to seek Jesus. We're going to seek greater understanding and insight. Or are we among the crowds and the religious leaders who will just simply write off what Jesus is saying as meaningless, irrelevant? And to answer that question, we must ask, are we really listening to Jesus? Now, Jesus in the parable of the seed and the parable of the mustard seed, Jesus tells his disciples something that is so important for us at this moment. He explains that the kingdom of God is like seed. And he talks about the inevitability of God's kingdom. In both the seed parables, verses 26 through 34, Jesus speaks that the kingdom is inevitable. Though we may judge it to be small, Though we may judge it to be insignificant, even powerless or ineffective in light of the world's needs in the past, or even at this moment, though it may, be, may seem to be weak to us compared to the power structures of the world, God's kingdom is coming into this world. 
It's like a great harvest or like the mustard seed. The kingdom, like the harvest, is inevitable. Now, Scripture tells us that the whole cosmos is headed for that day where the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. When he who is seated on the throne says, behold, I make all things new. This is the unstoppable kingdom of God. Nothing can thwart the promises of God getting out to the world he so deeply loves. And we see this in this gospel, not the subversive work of Satan, not the unbelief of Israel, not the rejection of the religious leaders, not the apparent tragedy of the cross, We even see it today, not the persecution of the church, not world wars, not nuclear fallout, not even COVID-19. Nothing can stop God's kingdom being established in this world. Now, Jesus speaks to the fact that the earth itself and its ability to reproduce is a mystery. We sow seed into the ground and by and large, the earth knows exactly what to do or as we say, we let nature run its course. Likewise, this is how the kingdom works. It's inevitable. We sow the seeds of the kingdom, but we leave the mystery of how and when into the hands of the king. We leave it to the sovereignty of God. We leave it to his providence and his timing. Now, for me, this passage could not come at a more poignant moment. The world is in a state of emergency and every day there seems to be some new development that threatens life as we know it. Uh, We think of a couple weeks ago how China dissolved the one country, two system policy. We heard about murder hornets that are now in the US or maybe you heard about the Sahara dust cloud that's blowing across the Atlantic in here. Now there's a hurricane in Florida. We read about Russian bounty on U.S. soldiers, COVID-19 spiking all over the nation. There's protests and riots. There's social and political upheaval. There's unemployment skyrocketing. There's businesses and the economy tanking. And then the U.S. government comes out with documentation and videos about UFOs. And (laughs) I mean, by the time we get that news, it's like, yeah, what else is new? It's 2020. Like, what else do you have? You know, the government releasing this kind of stuff, it's just kind of lost on us. It's a crazy time to be living. And I maybe at this moment, the Bible, Jesus, the gospel, and the kingdom of God seem to have no effect or real bearing on the current situation to you. I think this is a temptation for all of us. And like the people of Jesus's day, We're saying Jesus established the kingdom. They were looking around and saying, Jesus, when are you going to overthrow Rome and the powers that be? When are you going to set up the kingdom? We're looking for something powerful and dynamic. And Jesus has this opportunity with the crowds. And he says this, listen, a sower went out to sow. Listen, tune in to what I'm going to say. He says, the kingdom is like a mustard seed. And we're looking at Jesus saying, What are you talking about? What relevancy does this have to our current situation? Now, the crowd's dismissal of Jesus and his teaching, based on the seeming insignificance of the kingdom, I think is exactly what Mark wants to get at with us. Especially in a time when the issues of the world and the culture seem so desperate around us, we want an immediate answer. 
We want the silver bullet. We want a revolution. We want change right now. And again, Jesus says, what shall we liken the powerful justice bringing, righteousness reigning, shalom bringing eternal kingdom of God to? It's like a seed. In time, it will grow and eventually it will fill the earth. If we are disillusioned with the way God is working in the world at present, it might have more to do with our own agendas and perspectives and our assumptions that we bring upon scripture. The problem often is us trying to mold Jesus and the kingdom into our image, how we think the kingdom does come or should come. And so if that's the case, Mark is trying to tell us, don't miss how God is at work in the world. Lean in all the more into Jesus, all the more into the gospel and scripture to see how God is at work in ways that you might otherwise miss. And this is vitally important church, because Jesus says to us disciples has been given the secret or mystery of the kingdom of God. So let's talk about that for a moment. Jesus says to his disciples, they come to him and ask him, what are you talking about? To you has been given the secret or mystery of the kingdom of God. What's Jesus saying? Well, he's saying that the kingdom of God, the new creation that we were made for, that we long for, that all of history is headed for, the healing of the cosmos, the reconciliation of all tribes, nations, and peoples is here and is coming through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This secret has been revealed to us. Followers of Jesus hold in our very hearts and lives the hope and destiny of all the world. The question is, do we know this? Do we believe this? Do we have this conviction that we bear within our souls the hope of all the world? That Jesus is truly the desire of all nations. That he is the end of every desire, the hope of every heart. Do we believe this? Scripture tells us that we disciples have been brought into Jesus's secret plan and counsel in order that we would share it, that we would make it known to all the earth. As Jesus says, the lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, but displayed to give light to all. I've been reading recently a from a missionary named Leslie Newbegin that spent uh, his life in Madras, India in the early part of the 20th century. And so this is from him. He says, the gospel is the truth and therefore it is true for all people. It is the unveiling of the face of him who makes all things new from whom every person comes and to whom every person goes. It is the revealing of the meaning of human history, of the origin and destiny of mankind. Jesus is not only my savior, he is Lord of all things, the cause and cornerstone of the universe. And if I believe that, then to bear witness to that is the very stuff of existence. 
If I think I can or should keep it to myself, then I do not in any real sense believe it or understand it. Or in another place, he says it this way, the true meaning of the human story has been disclosed. And because it is the truth, it must be shared universally. It cannot be a private opinion. And when we share it with all people, we give them the opportunity to know the truth about themselves, to know who they are because they can know the true story of which their lives are a part. And so as those who have been given the secret of the kingdom of God, our task is to make it known, to spread and sow the seeds of the kingdom. That is what Jesus is calling disciples to do. Now let's talk a little bit more about the seeds of the kingdom, and then we'll talk about how we sow those seeds. So Jesus asks, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a mustard seed. Now, the first part of this statement is fascinating because Jesus is subtly hinting at Isaiah 40 here, and this is what the Bible Project would refer to as a biblical hyperlink. Jesus is referencing, or if you will, he's dropping the shoe, referencing Isaiah, and then waiting you know, to drop the other proverbial shoe. There in Isaiah, God asked Israel, to whom will you liken me, or what likeness can you compare me with? And the context here is Yahweh's power compared to idols. And the fascinating thing is the way that Jesus uses this. Jesus is using the same phrasing, but here he is talking about the true kingdom of God versus false ideologies. You see, in Jesus's day, in the first century, Jesus was not at a loss to find ways to talk about the kingdom of God or different spins on how the kingdom of God came. There were the Sadducees who had colluded with the Roman powers. They were the liberals of the day. There were the Pharisees and they were the theological gatekeepers, the conservatives of the day. There were the zealots who were going to overthrow Rome through this violent upheaval. There were the Essenes that just pressed the eject button on culture. You had a variety of options and ways that you thought that the kingdom of God was going to come. Many thought that it would come through a violent overthrow of the Gentile nations. They thought that the messianic kingdom came like the Davidic kingdom, fighting the pagan Philistines and idol worshipers. It would come through an act of war and violence and judgment. And this is why Jesus' message in a way is so countercultural then as it is now, because he's teaching us about seed. And we're like, Jesus, what the heck are you talking about? Because we envision God's kingdom coming like the vision in Daniel, crushing the powers that be, overthrowing them violently. And you're talking about seed. And we could think of a hundred things right here, right now, that are more dynamic than seed. Seed takes time. Seed must grow. Seed needs care. Seed needs sun, water, and cultivation. It's not sudden. And sometimes the work of gardening and farming, it feels so mundane and insignificant. It's just slow and steady. It's day by day, season after season of faithfully planting, watering, 
and sowing. And Jesus is telling us this is what the kingdom of God is like. You see, living out, following Jesus and bearing witness to the kingdom of God and the gospel is about lifelong faithfulness. Or as Eugene Peterson calls it, it's a long obedience in the same direction. But this is just so backwards. This is so countercultural and so upside down to the way we think about power and authority, prosperity, and progress. It's not the way that we think it should happen. And so often we miss out on what God is doing because we think, well, that was then and this is now. We think it doesn't fit our American exceptionalism. Again, the way that we think about power and authority. So often we can think, well, Christ suffered then so we can reign now, or maybe Christ suffered so we don't have to. But I believe Jesus is looking at the church right now at this moment, and I think especially the American church, and he's telling us the kingdom of heaven is seed. Let those who have ears hear what the Lord is saying to the church. He's telling us it doesn't come the way that you think it does. It comes through scattering the seed. It comes through faithfully planting these small, seemingly insignificant seeds. That's what we're called to do, and we leave the harvest up to God. So I've talked quite a bit about this idea of the kingdom of God, how it comes. So what does it look like then to sow the seeds of the kingdom of God? And I think that there is both a communal and an individual aspect to our responsibility in this work. So first, as a community of God's people, we have that collective work of sowing seeds. And this is really that Sermon on the Mount vision of being an alternative community, a counterformational people. This is a list, again, from Leslie Newbegin, who I've just received so much from, so much insight from lately. But he says, we are to be a community of praise and worship in a world of doubt and skepticism. Just think about that vision for a moment. A community of praise and worship in a world of doubt and skepticism. In a world that is just so uncertain about the future, about future security, about finances, about the economy, about where are things headed. We know how the story ends. We know that he who is seated on the throne says, behold, I make all things new. Peter talks to us in his epistle about the living hope that we have, which is an anchor to the soul. And this is a reason to worship. This is a reason that we praise and thank God because we know how the story ends. And this is so in such radical contrast to the way the world is thinking at this moment being a community of praise and worship. But he goes on, being a community of truth in a pluralistic society that overwhelms and produces relativism. He says, being a selfless community that does not live for itself, but is deeply involved in the concerns of its neighborhood in a selfish world. Being a community prepared to live out the gospel in public life in a world that privatizes all religious claims. 
Being a community of mutual responsibility in a world of individualism. Being a community of hope in a world of pessimism about the future. And essentially what we see here again is this countercultural community being salt and light in the midst of a corroding and dark world. But individually, we have a part to play as well. Individually, it's each of us bringing the character and demonstration of God's kingdom to bear upon our spheres of influence. It's with our families, with our neighbors, with our coworkers, the unique opportunities that God has given us. Now, it may not be obviously dynamic. It might not be you know, a lifelong ministry in Madras, India. It may not be working, you know, in the midst of sex trafficking, getting girls out of that and educating them. It may not be flashy and sexy and what we think the kingdom, dynamic kingdom of God should look like. It usually isn't. But for a moment, think with me about how God has always worked. Think with me back to the pages of Genesis where God promises that he will build a nation as numerous as the sand of the sea and the stars of the heaven from the dead womb of a 90-year-old woman. Think with me about the insignificance of Israel as they go down 72 persons in all into captivity eventually in Egypt for 490 years. Think about them as they come from the desert. There's this ragtag group. They're not a standing army, none of these things, and they enter into the promised land. Think about them through the Davidic kingdom and even into exile. It's so insignificant compared to what's going on on the grand scheme of the world at the time. You think about the kingdom of Egypt and then going on to, you know, the Persians and the Greeks and the Romans and all of this. And then think of Jesus's own ministry. It was with nobodies that he gave his time and attention it was in the back hills of Galilee and not in the cultural hubs that he gave his most powerful sermons. It was outside of Jerusalem hanging on a cross that the son of God did his greatest work. Like a seed, his body was planted in the ground only to rise as the new creation and make the way possible for the rest of the creation to join him in his resurrection. Never underestimate the significance of planting seeds of the kingdom of God. God promises they will become a tree that will fill the whole earth. They will become a tree that will fill the whole earth. So then the question, I guess, is practically, what does this look like? Is this street evangelism? Is this a tract? Is this that I just do really good work as a Christian? Is this my whole life as apologetic? Is it discipleship training? The answer is yes. It's all of these things. Think about the parable of the sower. A sower went out to sow and he just scatters seed everywhere. It just goes everywhere. That's the vision, church. Just scatter the seed as we have opportunity. Again, Leslie Newbegin, he shares a story of converts in India and their individual stories about how they came to faith in Christ. And this is what they said. It took place through a series of events over a period of time. That was all of their testimonies. It's fascinating. This sounds a lot like sowing seed, doesn't it? took place a series of events, that's sowing, watering, cultivating, watering, sun, 
over a period of time. They talk about what happened in their own stories. For some, it was a conversation that happened on the factory floor. For others, it was a visit from a Christian during an illness. For another, it was a reading of a tract of scripture. Or for another, it was a simple act of kindness. For some, it was a sermon, a prayer. Some had dreams and visions. This and a hundred other little seeds were planted, but it was the Lord who brought about the increase in the harvest. And Newbegin remarks, no one could have programmed all of this. The strategy was not in any human hands. So church, in this moment, where we are so tempted because... 24-7 news cycle, all of these theories about what's going on in the world and all of these things that are grabbing for our attention is this is the cause. Jesus is asking us to turn our gaze and attention from all that. And he says, listen, pay attention, have ears to hear what I am saying to you. And what he's telling us is sow the seeds of my kingdom. That's what I'm calling you to do. And I will bring the increase. I am the Lord of the harvest. Will you do this simple thing? Will you bear witness to my kingdom by sowing seed anywhere and everywhere you go? In closing, church, the secret or mystery of the kingdom of God has been entrusted to Jesus' disciples. Many people are blind to it because it's neither what they want, it's not what they expect from the kingdom of God. The work is not flashy, it's hard, costly work, it's slow and steady, it's farming and seed planting, it is a long obedience in the same direction. But God has promised to build, grow, and establish his kingdom. It is inevitable. And so I, I pray that this word would be an anchor to your soul in the midst of a world in upheaval. God will build his church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. He will establish his kingdom. And so I'll leave you with the words of the apostle Paul. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong, resilient, immovable, Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Be it unto me, be it unto you. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would take your word, your truth, and that you would cultivate this word in our hearts, that you would direct us to the ways, Lord, that our own mystery, this mystery, the stewardship of the kingdom of God that has been entrusted to us and the culture and opportunities where they intersect so that we might faithfully do the work of your kingdom. Help us, Lord, that we would not get distracted, that we would not get caught up in the noise and neglect the one thing that you have called us to do, which is to bear, to sow 
the seeds of the kingdom of God, to testify to the good news that you have rescued the creation and you will bring it to a close. Give us boldness, give us opportunity, Lord, and bring about, we pray, a plentiful harvest in these days. And we ask this for the fame and honor of our Savior who did not esteem his place at your right hand, something to be held on to, but made himself of no reputation, laid that all aside for our sakes, for his glory, for his name's sake, we pray. Amen.